Welcome to the Cartoonist Kayfabe Courtroom. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. We're going to continue our Marv Wolfman testimony in the case regarding the ownership to the copyright, trademark, all that good stuff of Blade, Deacon Frost, a couple other characters that appeared in that very first flick with Wesley Snipes. But before we do that, I want to invite you guys to like, follow, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit that bell icon so that we can notify you when new vids are available and that helps mitigate the kayfabe effect. And what that means is we put out videos at about 9 a.m. on most days. We talk about a comic by noon that day. If the comic is still available on Amazon or eBay, it might be prohibitively expensive. So the people who get those video notifications early, they get first dibs on the cheapest copies of the stuff that we talk about uh, online. And uh, if you watch these videos to the very end, gooses the algorithms uh, with uh, YouTube lets them know that we need to push that video content out to other comic book loving YouTube uh, watchers. Helps us grow the channel, helps us grow the numbers, helps continue to make it possible to bring you guys regular video content. And I wanna thank you guys so much for uh, supporting the channel like you have been. Jimmy, fascinating conversation, man. Uh, fascinating testimony with Marv Wolfman. Getting spicy last round, man. A lot of contentious back and forth, a lot of uh, Passive aggression. A lot of aggression, aggression. <laughs> <laughs> the word uh, shouting is mentioned. Yes. And I don't know that uh, we are in the middle of cross-examination here. Uh, so I don't know that that's going to lighten up any. But where we left, uh, I, I believe we got a little bit of uh, Tom Palmer deposition was, was mentioned in a piece. But I think we're going to be getting into uh, Mr. Gene Cullen pretty soon. Yes. Uh, gentleman Gene. And by pretty soon, I mean with his first round first of questions. questions. Yes. <laughs> you good? I'm good if you are, Jimmy. So the way the way this game is played, for those who haven't uh, happened upon our videos much yet, we we found these uh these testimonies and depositions uh, from from uh, from co the history of comics using uh, Comics Journal 236 <laughs> for this particular issue, and uh, we found this stuff to be remarkably fascinating in in terms of comic book history, in terms of holding these people's feet to the fire as to the truthfulness of their story and uh there are many testimonies that we've done todd mcfarlane neil gaiman stan lee john byrne this is a big case that a lot of people have mentioned and there's a lot of ink that is used uh for this transcription right here we mentioned uh, a lot how this is some of the most interesting comics interviews yeah the, the, that we've read um, it's also interesting because it's it's always through the lens of a non-comics person. You yeah. know, these lawyers that are that are gathering this information. It's kind of interesting to see how like civilians see comics, what their understanding of is how, you know, what comic books are, how they're made. I hadn't really thought about it before too much, but it's kind of an interesting insight in that. Yes. Because most of the people in my life are not comic book people. Um, well, you know what? That might not be true, but a number of them aren't. Right. You know, I've got family members that certainly aren't, uh, family and friends. So it's kind of neat to see it through that lens also. Just like hearing the mechanics of the comics industry, <laughs> sometimes you just shake your head. Yeah, yeah, because we, we, we are so deep in it. Yeah, you can take it for granted. So the way that we play this game is that Jimmy is the voice of everybody who hasn't Esquire or whatever at the end of their name, man. You're all the lawyers and you're you represent the court. I'm simply Marv Wolfman in, right. in this exercise. And uh, if that's enough preamble, Jimmy, I'm ready to go if you are. I am. So starting out with Fleischer. 
The first issue of Tomb of Dracula you wrote was number seven, is that correct? And Mr. Cullen was the artist on that issue? Yes, he was. And Mr. Cullen had been the artist on the first six issues as well, is that correct? Wolfman agrees. Were any characters introduced into issue seven that had not previously made an appearance in the Tomb of Dracula series? Quincy Harker, Saint, who was a dog, and Edith Harker. And is the Harker name a name that derives from your imagination or some other source? See, this is cunt talk, man, because because he knows that there are Harkers in Dracula <laughs> novels. Who doesn't, right? No, Harker was a name that was in the Dracula novel, Jonathan Harker. Were there any characters introduced into the story that you did for number eight of Tomb of Dracula series? Dr. Morte, M-O-R-T-T-E. In issue number nine, were any characters introduced into the series? No. And I believe issue number 10 is the issue in which you introduced Blade into the series. Is that correct? Correct. Although there is a slight mention, there is a lead in in issue nine, but he was not mentioned. Now, isn't it a fact, Mr. Wolfman, that the idea of inserting the Blade character into the story came to you after you had written issues seven and eight? Absolutely not. Did you not tell Del Cusera that was the case in your interview? I think what I said was... Answer my question. No, it is not a yes or no. Did you or did you not tell Del Cusera that the idea of inserting and the idea of the Blade character, conception of the Blade character, came to you after you had written issues seven and eight? No, the idea of putting them into the book came in three issues later. Did you tell Mr. Cusera, quote, I was assigned to do issue number seven, end quote, and then tell him that a couple of issues later, Blade just came to me, the concept of the black vampire hunter with teak knives acting like stakes, the whole origin of the character, which they are pretty much replicating in the movie, the attitude, the entire look, which was very unusual. Did you make that statement to Mr. Cusera? I could not have made that statement in that way. And Gene Colan did the first drawing of the Blade character, is that correct? Let me think for a second. Yes. Is Mr. Colan an honest man? We're not personal friends. He seems to be. I don't know. Well, didn't you go to Mr. Colon at one at the outset of this litigation and ask him to give you a statement to help you with your case? I asked him to give a statement of fact, and he did. And Mr. Colon has testified at his deposition under oath that he created the look of the Blade character. Do you recall seeing his testimony to that effect? What Mr. Colon said, I believe, was that he worked, he did the face. He described the fact that I had submitted the entire idea of what it looked like, that I had come up with everything, his only comment that he thought, uh, and he was incorrect, was on the goggles. He thought he may have added the goggles to it. Uh, there was a story point. Mr. Cullen uh, also doesn't remember Rachel Van Helsing, who had been in 68 issues of 70. Tell me when you are finished with the speech, because I don't think there is a pending question. I was answering your full question. Are you aware of any reason Mr. Cullen would have to lie at his deposition? I don't think he lied. I think he didn't remember. And I'd like to place before you what we've marked for identification as Marvel Exhibit 6. And is Marvel Exhibit 6 a letter that you received from Gene Cullen? Yes. And after you received it, you asked him to write another statement? We wanted a little bit longer to describe exactly, I believe. Did you or did you not ask him to write another statement? Yes. And the first statement that Mr. Cullen made was that he would like it understood that he created the look of the character called Blade? No. What he says is, in other words, Marv described what the character would wear, and I, and I in turn, created his face. Would you read the letter, please? Okay. Quote, 
I would like it understood that I created the look, quote, of the character Blade based on the script and costume directions of Marv Wolfman. In other words, Marv described the character, what the character would wear, and I turned and I in turn created his face, stature, and physical demeanor. Now, would you turn to Marvel Exhibit 8, please? Is that the second statement that Mr. Collins sent to you after you and your attorneys were dissatisfied with the first statement? We weren't dissatisfied. Uh, it didn't describe it clearly. Yes, but you are indicating we were dissatisfied. I don't know where you get that from. I guess because you didn't leave it with the first statement. No, that's unfair. That's really an unfair assumption. Now, in addition to Mr. Collins' testimony at his deposition concerning the look of the character, Mr. Collins testified that the character Blade was created after you and he had begun working on the book. Do you recall that? That would be when Gene got the employment. He wouldn't have known when it was created. Before we get to that, just to close the corner on Exhibit 8, would you mind reading it for the record? Okay. I, Gene Cullen, illustrated the character of Blade, a black vampire hunter, and Deacon Frost, the man who murdered his mother based on Wolf... Marv Wolfman's description of his race and costume and story. The physical attributes of Blade and Deacon's face and body were designed by me. Cartoonist Kayfabe is sponsored by the comic books Ed Piscor and I make. If you want to support Cartoonist Kayfabe, pick up our comics and books wherever you buy them. Red Room. Starting with Red Room, the antisocial network, season one of Ed's Murder on the Dark Web for fun and profit. Trigger Warning, Season 2 is now in stores everywhere. This is Issue Number 1, Issue 2 also available, Issue 3 coming next month, and uh, available wherever you buy comics, except for banned in seven comic stores. Uh, hopefully that number's not rising, but you never know. Well, you know what? The cool thing about it rising is that the bigger comic shops heard about that stuff, tripled their orders, man. <laughs> nice. WYSIWYG, A History of Computer Hacking. X-Men Grand Design, the Grand Design that started them all, including Hulk Grand Design. Can't wait Three to see what... oversized volumes of this available. Can't wait to see what your cover looks like when you put yours together, Jimmy. And Hip Hop Family Tree, a history of hip hop available in four treasury sized editions or two beautiful box sets. You can pick up my latest book wherever comics are sold, Hulk Grand Design Monster. This is in comic shops everywhere now with some beautiful variant covers, a retelling of the 60 year history of the Incredible Hulk, and coming in April, Hulk Grand Design Madness with uh, also some beautiful cover choices here by Ed McGinnis and Jeff Darrow, as well as my cover. Again, the 60 year history of the Hulk distilled down into two very dense uh, oversized issues. Plain Janes, the first young adult comic graphic novel here in America by Cecil Castellucci and me. And Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, which just went out of print from Image Comics, Ed. If you guys at home see Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive on your comic shop shelves, pick it up because it is no longer available for order. But the original Street Angel hardcover oversized, uh, these are kind of like director's cuts, almost like artist editions. I think they're the nicest books ever designed. These are all still available from the publisher. You can get them wherever books are bought and sold. And now back to our regular scheduled programming. Now do you recall reading Mr. Collins' testimony about the creation of the Blade character? Vaguely. I have to see it again, and you have to quote it again. Mr. Wolfman, you only remember vaguely that the man who collaborated with you on this book testified that the character was created after you began working on the series? That's not what you asked. You said, do I remember his entire testimony? I remember that section. If you want a specific part, it's a long piece. I can't remember every word you said. I do remember that section. Do you remember Mr. Collin testifying? Question on page 119. Yes, reading. Question. 
I want to go back to the way Blade and Deacon Frost was created and essentially your relationship with Marv and the Tomb of Dracula. Can you describe how that relationship went? Answer. When Marv came aboard to write the story, he began doing it, and very shortly in the beginning, somewhere along the line, Marv came up with the Blade series, came up with the idea of a black vampire hunter to be introduced as another character. Question. Are you 100% sure? Answer. Yes, I am. Question. I haven't finished the question. This is a very important question, so please wait until I finish. Are you 100% sure that Marv created the Blade character while working on Tomb of Dracula? Answer. Yes, I am. To questions from your own attorney and not from Ms. Kleinick or myself. That's fine. That's his memory. I never told him uh, when the characters are created. As I said, if you had asked him the same question on Janus, he would have said, oh, three quarters of the way through the series. Now, at the outset of your work on Tomb of Dracula, you testified that Roy Thomas had removed three prior writers from the series. Do you recall that? I, I said that, okay. Three writers had been on the series previously. Uh, why they weren't on it, I don't know. I doubt if he would have had if fired uh, Archie Goodwin, who is probably one of the best writers. So they're off the series. Whether he removed them or they voluntarily left, uh, I could not tell you. Didn't you testify on direct just yesterday they weren't doing the book the way Mr. Thomas wanted it? I think I started to say something else as well. I assumed that at the time. I don't know some of those people previously. Uh, Archie is probably. Did you say that yesterday or didn't you, Mr. Wolfman? Did I follow up on that at all? We don't need a speech. Mr. Wolfman, do you remember saying that? I remember saying that, yes. Is it true that Mr. Thomas told you that they weren't doing the work the way he wanted it and that's why the three writers were removed? I don't recall now if that if that's true. I know he wasn't happy with Gardner Fox's work, and that was the person just prior to me. Now, you also said yesterday that you worked from home on Tomb of Dracula, particularly in the early months, because at that time you were also working three days a week at Warren. Is that correct? I think I was working at home on Tomb of Dracula on all issues. And I believe you also testified during that period of time that Roy Thomas was barely at the office. Do you recall that? Wolfman agrees. Now, if you were working more at Warren three days a week and you were writing at home, how did you know when Mr. Thomas was in the office and when he wasn't? If I went up to Marvel, he was rarely even there. And when I started work in 73, he was almost never there. I'd call. So in 1972? Excuse me. I'd call Mr. Thomas and he wasn't there. In 1972, Mr. Wolfman, were you at the office a sufficient number of times to determine if Mr. Thomas was there or not? No, but there is something called a phone. In August of 1998, Mr. Wolfman, you commenced a lawsuit against New Line Cinema and other entities. Wolfman concurs. And that was a lawsuit you began in the United States District Court for the Central District of California. Is that correct? Wolfman agrees again. And the timing of that lawsuit was designed to coincide with the release of the Blade film, was it not? Was it de designed to coincide? I'd been arguing for a year and three quarters about this. Uh, there was probably no attempt to work out a deal with me. There was obviously no attempt to work out a deal with me. It coincided. In fact, the lawsuit was filed just a week to 10 days before the announced release date of the opening of the film. Isn't that correct? I don't remember the date of the opening of the film. I thought it was different. Is it your testimony? It was a coincidence that you, your lawsuit was begun seven to 10 days before the opening of the film? I don't know when my lawyers planned to sue to put the lawsuit through. You'd have to check with them on that. Now, you were the person who furnished your lawyers with the information about the Tomb of Dracula series and Blade, right? 
I furnished my lawyers uh, the information on what I had done, my claims, my feelings, the information I had learned over the years, yes. Now I'd like to place before you a copy of your complaint, and you read this complaint before it was filed, and you read this complaint before it was filed. Isn't that right? Wolfman confirms this. Would you read paragraphs 22 and 23 of the complaint? In 1972, Wolfman created uh, original stories featuring the exploits of the principal characters Blade and Deacon Frost here after the work. Uh, Blade is a black vampire hunter who is half man, half vampire. Deacon Frost is the evil vampire who is responsible for Blade's mutated conditions. condition. When Blade's mother was pregnant with Blade, Deacon Frost attacks and murders her, causing his vampire blood to enter into the child who is born after a fetal attack. Uh, after the fetal attack. Blade dedicates his life to ridding the world of all evil vampires and avenging his mother's death by destroying Deacon Frost. And paragraph 23. When Wolfman created the work, Wolfman was a freelance writer, independent contractor with Marvel. Uh, Wolfman did not grant any rights to the, to the work to Marvel or any other person. Now the term work, as used in paragraph 23, is defined in paragraph 22 to be the characters Blade and Deacon Frost. Is that correct? No. What is the definition of work in paragraph 22? The stories. It says here, Wolfman created the original stories. They feature the characters, but it's talking about the work on the stories. <clears throat> Your testimony that the term work here was not intended to refer to the characters? It doesn't. In paragraph 24, you begin, Wolfman allowed his work to be published in a comic book entitled Tomb of Dracula. Is the term work there the characters or just the stories? I'm not a lawyer, so I can't ascribe that. Uh, I can read the English on the sentence where it talks about th about the stories, so I know exactly what that means. This one here on 22 is very clear, and it's only talking about the stories because it talks about the original stories featuring, uh, but it's still the stories that is the subject of the sentence. I don't understand the rest of it. Is it your testimony that Blade and Deacon Frost were created simultaneously? They were created simultaneously. They had to be. The two characters are interrelated. Now, have you ever claimed that Deacon Frost was actually created in 1973? 1973? They had been created. Uh, they were published in 1973, I believe. Now, I'd like to place before you a document that we marked for identification as Marvel Exhibit 61. Do you recognize it? I haven't seen it. Is it possible to get some more water, please? This is run out. Water furnished. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> From the deputy clerk. Back to Fleischer. Can you identify that letter as the letter that your attorneys sent to Michael Lynn? It seems to be, yes. I should note for the record that this letter is dated May tw March 25th. And yesterday, the copy of this letter that was introduced into evidence had a date of March 30th. Do you have any information about why that discrepancy arose? You have to check with my lawyers on that. I have no idea. In any event, Mr. Wolfman, would you refer to the second page of the letter? And in the second paragraph, in the second sentence at the top, it says, quote, In 1973, Mr. Wolfman created the literary and graphic properties for the character entitled Deacon Frost. Do you see that? Yes, I do. Does that refresh your recollection as to when you did your work on Deacon Frost? No, uh, it still happened at the same time. When you have a vampire who is killed by the killer. I didn't ask for a story. I asked whether it refreshed your recollection or not. Did it refresh your recollection or did it not refresh your recollection? It did not refresh my recollection. Thank you. That's the answer to my question. Now, before the letter was sent, you had met and talked with your attorneys. Is that correct? 
Not on every letter. I get copies of the letters. I didn't ask you whether you had talked about this letter. I asked whether you had talked and met with your attorneys. Oh, yes, of course. Now, that sentence that I read refers to graphic properties. Would you tell me what you understand that term to mean if you have an understanding? That would probably mean the description uh, to Gene Cullen on what the characters look like because that is graphic, not story. Wouldn't graphic be the actual picture? I don't know. I don't draw the book, so so to me, uh, the most it could mean is that. Uh, but it, it was still a character that had to be created at the same time as Blade. Now, yesterday, you also testified about a letter that you wrote to Mr. Calamari. Is that a copy of your letter to Mr. Calamari? Yes. I'd like to ask you a question about something you said in the fourth paragraph here. In the beginning, in the middle of the paragraph, you say, quote, I think a show of good faith from Marvel, a demonstration that the company wants to deal fairly with the people who create the characters that become comics, movies, cartoon characters, toys, etc., would only help Marvel prove that they are changing and growing with the times. Yes. Now, were you referring, when you said that, to the fact that it wasn't until the mid-1980s that Marvel allowed for any incentive payments to be received by creators if their properties were exploited in other media than the comic books? No, I was talking about the fact that it would be a show of good faith that they should do this. What did you mean when you said it would only help prove that Marvel is changing and growing with the times? Because after the work for hire law was passed, uh, I guess it took effect in 1978, Marvel became, except on one part of it, incredibly draconian in its policies. They just stopped doing things all the other companies were doing. And Marvel, which had been more open previously, except for the epic books, had been had really become very tight-fisted with their policies. Uh, they were claiming everything at that particular point, and every other company that was out there was doing everything else to work with the creators. And Marvel, after the work-for-hire agreements came in, or work-for-hire came in, really changed all their policies. And I was trying to convince Mr. Calamari nicely that maybe Marvel should be doing all the other, doing what all the other companies are doing in this respect, but Marvel never really did. Marvel always went off on its own. And in this letter, you made no mention of any claim on your part that you owned any of the rights in the characters that were the subject of the film? Well, this was my second letter, so I didn't do it again, as I mentioned to you yesterday. Is the answer to my question that you did or that you didn't assert to Mr. Calamari that you owned any ownership rights in the Blade and Deacon Frost characters? Not in this letter, no. Is there any tangible evidence of which you are aware, Mr. Wolfman, in this courtroom that demonstrates that you created Blade before Roy Thomas hired you to write Tomb of Dracula? I think there is more inference and indication that that was my policy to create characters and then use them later. Now on your direct, you testified that you reduced to writing a very detailed description of Blade at the time that you had the epiphany about the character. Do you recall that? Yes. Now at your deposition, you testified that you had no recollection of whether you had written it down or didn't write it down. Do you recall that? No. What I said I was uh, referring to was the difference between writing down that rough concept with the origin story and writing a full script as I did on Janus. To me, when you said story or concepts, that way I was thinking of full script. Let me see if I can refresh your recollection at page 160, line 11. Question. Are you saying that Blade was created as a character independent of any story in which he might appear? Question. Did you write, did you write down the characteristics of that character that you just described in your testimony? Answer. I don't recall if I wrote it down. Question. Did you search your files? 
to determine whether or not any writing from 1972 with regard to these characteristics of Blade exist? Answer. No writing that I wrote before 1972 left New York exists in anything that I own. Question. Do you have any evidence that the character Blade was created in 1972? Answer. Do I have any evidence in what? Question. In any form? Answer. Yeah. Question. So the answer to the question is no? Answer. The question is no. I'm sorry. The answer is no. Now, did you or did you not testify at your deposition, Mr. Wolfman, that you had no recollection of writing anything down about Blade? I also said the second day. Did you or did you not? Yes, I did say that. I did write something down in Blade. But you didn't tell me that at your deposition, did you? Yes, I did. You didn't tell me that at your deposition in the testimony I just read, did you? Not in that. Would you like to read the part that it does say that? Do you want to show me in the deposition where you said that? Yes, please do. Pause. Okay, here. Page 289, it's line 12. Answer. The Blade characters created not in terms of a story. I, I wrote down the ideas. I came up with a character. I wrote down who he should be, the thoughts of who he is, but I didn't work out the actual story yet. Is there a reason, Mr. Wolfman, that you didn't recall it the first day and you claim to have recalled it the second day? This is a long time. I was incredibly nervous. I had never done anything like that before. You tend to scream. And we did, in fact, mention it several times in a deposition to please stop screaming at me. I don't respond well to that. I didn't remember Nova. I didn't remember Janus in that time when you asked me. I didn't remember Skull the Slayer in the time that you asked me. You scared the hell out of me at that point. I have to admit it. So is it fair to say that virtually nothing that happened in the first day of your deposition can be relied upon? No, there is an awful lot of, obviously, when I found the evidence proving it, I found that the skull, I found the skull mention, uh, the mention of skull having existed as a proposal of DC Comics. I found uh, the Janus material that existed prior to 1970. I found the Nova material. My God, I published and copyrighted Nova twice and I completely forgot it. Yesterday, you testified about having entered into an employment agreement with Marvel that had a term beginning on January 1st, 1977. And at the time you entered into that agreement, it was about the same time that Mr. Shooter became the editor-in-chief at Marvel. Is that correct? I guess so. Do you recall that Mr. Shooter's first day on the job as editor-in-chief was January 1st of 1977? I don't recall what date. I was more concerned with myself. With whom did you discuss the employment agreement before it was signed? I believe Mr. Brodsky and Stan. And was the employment agreement prepared by Marvel at your request? I don't remember if it's Marvel at my request or Marvel at its request for me, but I think it may have been at my request. And when you saw a draft of the agreement, you testified yesterday that you didn't consult an attorney before you signed it. Yes, that's true. And you said the reason for that was that Marvel had a policy of discouraging anyone from consulting with attorneys in those days. Yes. How did they enforce that policy? They just said they, they didn't want anyone dealing with it. Uh, it was just pretty well known at the time. They just didn't believe anyone had the right to speak with an attorney. I'm going to give a little conjecture piece, man, because uh, we've been going through that Eisner-Miller book. And uh, these are guys at the top of their game who have some real agency over their own careers. Uh, Will Eisner had agency over his career, his entire career, pretty much. And uh, one of the big things that they were talking about is something that I've seen in my day a whole lot, and it's exhibited here by Marv Wolfman, where the creatives are shy about, like they don't want to seem like they're being a hassle 
to the money people, to the people who are paying them. So they, they beg off, they powder out, and they don't ask for clarity. They don't, they don't, they don't ask for anything. They just accept the king's shilling willingly, as, as uh, Howard Chaykin said. Total example right here, the job mentality. Continue, Jimmy. Well, you know what? Uh, while, we're, while we're breaking here for a second, it reminds me of wrestling. Because you hear some of these guys like Bruce Pritchard, uh, one of the top guys at, at uh, I almost said at Marvel, yeah. at WWF, WWE, um, they talk about some of these guys that show up with lawyers. As lawyers start to show up are agents. Yeah. Uh, I think Jim Ross talks about it. And early days, that was more difficult for the company to deal with. It wasn't how they operated for the most part. I assume now everybody in WWE has an agent or a lawyer or both you know, acting on their behalf. But when they talk old school wrestling stories like you know, I don't know how they discouraged it, but it did seem like a pain in the ass whenever they recount these stories. Yeah, Jesse Ventura is like the, the 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 first big dude, and he had he was Jesse the Body in DC comic um, DC <laughs> WCW, also because he trademarked that name. Right. And uh, but as a sort of bad example of what we're just describing about, like you got to push for your stuff. Vinnie Mac could bury you, and and if you get on his nerves he's gonna make you marry a mop on tv <laughs> you know what i mean he's gonna he's gonna put you in polka dots well i mean look conversely marvel could do the same thing right they could have you drawing whatever d-list character you don't want to be drawing yeah so yeah it's a, it's a strange balance but uh all right uh back to it yeah all right back to fleischer and it's for that reason that you didn't think you could call an attorney and get advice on the agreement Yes, pretty much. Now the agreement provided you with a three-week vacation. I'd have to see it again. I don't remember if it did or not. Let me place before you M3, Marvel Exhibit 3, which I think this is the same as Wolfman Exhibit 531. Vacation provision in the agreement is on page 3 in paragraph 3D. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Do you recall negotiating that three weeks up from the original two weeks provided for in the agreement by arguing that you were entitled to some benefit for your freelance tenure before January of 71? When you bring this up, and I remember asking for more, but I don't think I asked for it for any specific reason. I don't remember why. It could have been for that reason. Uh, that would make a lot of sense. And the agreement provides for health care benefits? Yes. And it precluded you from performing services for any competitor of Marvel during its term, didn't it? I'm not positive. Fleischer directs him to paragraph 4A. 4A? Oh, right, yes. And it provided that the services that you would perform under the agreement would be under the direction and supervision of the publisher. Is that correct? Right. Now, yesterday you said that you didn't recall whether payroll taxes were withheld in respect to the payments you received under this agreement. Do you recall that? I don't remember if I said on respect of this or writing. I, I don't recall it. Uh, I can say now that I do not recall if payroll taxes were taken out. I don't believe they were. Now, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't have been. Well, which is it, Mr. Wolfman? No, that's my answer. No, I don't believe that any that that they were. Yes. So you remember that they weren't? I don't believe that they were. I'm asking you if you remember that they weren't. I don't believe that they were. And what is the basis for your belief? Because I seem to recall getting the full amount on the checks on the writing uh, for the writing check and the editorial check. It's hard to remember exactly back then on a check of this sort. 
At your deposition, you didn't recall whether you had taxes taken out or not. And that's exactly what I'm saying right now is that I don't recall if all the taxes, I don't believe that they were, but I can't recall it. I can't give you a straight answer on that. That's why I'm saying I don't recall. I don't believe, I don't recall. That's pretty, that's the same pretty much. Now, yesterday you were asked by Mr. Deliberto to explain what you understood paragraph 10 of this agreement to mean. Do you recall that question? Wolfman indicates that he does. At your deposition, you couldn't recall what you thought paragraph 10 meant? It took me a while to try to remember. You know, I had not seen this since 1977, and I finally did give an answer. Let me direct you to your deposition testimony and see if we can refresh your recollection. Question. Can you give me a moment? Reading. Question. Let me refer to you to paragraph 10 of Exhibit 5 on page 6, and I'll read it for the record. You are not giving me a second! Question. It's captioned series and ideas. You are not giving me a moment to catch up to you. <laughs> I'm not asking. I'm not asking you to read your deposition. I'm asking you to listen to my question. Okay. Start over, please. Do you remember giving the following answers to the following questions? Question. Let me refer you to paragraph 10 of ex Exhibit 5 on page 6, and I'll read it for the record. It's captioned series and ideas. Quote. If any material delivered hereunder is part of a series, the idea and the character or characters used therein shall constitute Marvel's exclusive property for all times. Close quote. What did you understand that paragraph or that provision to mean at the time that you read and signed Exhibit 5? Answer. I can't recall what I thought of it at that time. I know this contract had nothing to do with anything that existed prior to the contract. It only dealt with material created from January 1st, 1977 through December 31st, 1979. Question. With respect to material that was delivered pursuant to this contract after January 1st of 1977, what did you understand paragraph 10 to mean? Answer. I'm saying I don't remember what I thought it meant at the time. I don't recall what I thought it meant at the time. Does that refresh your recollection, Mr. Wolfman, about the state of your understanding of paragraph 10 when you gave your deposition? That's the first statement on paragraph 10, and and then there was another one where I did realize what it meant. Again, I'm trying to recall something from 20 years before, 1977. Uh, we did this in 1998, I think it was, or maybe early 1999. I'm trying to recall something way back then, trying to put myself back in that frame of mind. Uh, there is another comment in there. Mr. Wolfman, are you familiar with the phrase Marvel Universe? Yes. And to what does that phrase refer? The characters published at Marvel. What makes a character a character published anywhere in comics? The look, the feel, the concept of the characters, the story behind the character. There's a lot more. Did Marvel have a particular style that ran through its universe of characters, a theme of any kind? Yeah, I'm trying to see if I could, how I could phrase it. The answer is yes. And what was the characteristic of Marvel characters that distinguished them from characters published by other comic book publishers? I could tell you what Marvel said their characters were, and... And that is what made it. Um, the stories were more vibrant. There were a little, they were a little more exciting. They were definitely more exciting. You felt that you knew the characters. Stan would always talk about Peter Parker with Spider-Man having pimples so people would understand. Get the idea that in Marvel, a hero, you can go out and fight a Spider-Man and swing around town as Spider-Man. But then you take off your mask and you still have got pimples and you still have problems at school. That's sort of what it meant. Was it the idea that the Marvel characters had a human quality to them, even if they had superpowers? Oh, yes. All characters did. That was also at DC Comics. 
So what distinguished Marvel characters from DC co characters, if anything? That the Marvel characters had more flaws than DC characters, but the DC characters by 1958, which is before Marvel, also started to have flaws like that, uh, just not to that degree. The, the biggest excitement or biggest difference at Marvel was really perpetuated by the physical violence today of the excitement of the panels and the fact that the heroes are fighting each other for long times. DC tended not to concentrate on the action scenes. And that's another thing Stan would talk about in is that Marvel was a very action-oriented company and DC in the old days, prior to, I guess, 1950, was a more sedate company. I think you brought to the stand with you a copy of your proof of claim. Is that correct? It lists all of the characters and the dates they first appeared. Let me find it, please. There's just too much of this stuff. Oh, yes. Okay. There it is. Yes. I was looking for a different one. Since filing that proof of claim, there was, I believe, that a number of dates and other entries on the claim have been proven to be in error? No. Well, let me ask you if your proof of claim refers to the first appearance of Deathstalker. Yes, it does. Uh, that's the one that was wrong. Not a number of them. One. And in what respect was the entry with respect to Deathstalker wrong? Well, I was going through all my books. Just tell me what is wrong, Mr. Wolfman. I did not create that character. That's why we removed it as soon as we knew. And when did you remove it? Last week, when I went through the books carefully to make sure that everything was correct. Was there any communication of which you were aware that told Marvel that you were removing it? I have no idea. I immediately told Mr. Diliberto that I wanted it removed. Whether he spoke to you, I don't know. At your deposition on the 8th of November just last week, you told me about how you created the character? Yes. And testified at considerable length about your creation of Deathstalker. Yes, and that's what made me go back. And you discovered that Deathstalker wasn't, in fact... I can tell you that I dis... I can tell you what I discovered, rather than you tell me what I discovered. Did you discover that Deathstalker was, in fact, a character that Steve Gerber published in Marvel for the first time, and not you? I discovered that I did not create the character Deathstalker. I wanted to make sure my lawyers knew it. I didn't want to claim a character that I had not created. And the reason I found out it is I went back to look at that story, and I realized at that particular point that I created the other character who was on the cover, the one who was walking up up the sort of light steps. And I had also created a previous character named Deathstalker. I don't think I got that question. The fact is the Deathstalker is not a character you created. That's right. And that's why we removed it, absolutely. After testifying under oath about you created it. After saying yes, I did create it. I created a character named Deathstalker and I created a character in that book and I made a mistake. Now, your proof of claim also lists Big Brother and Cheshire Cat as first appearing in what issue? It says 1973. Is that correct? I'd have to look at the book again. When you signed the proof of claim, you were aware that you were signing it under penalties of perjury, weren't you? I guess I didn't realize it, but probably yes. So you took what you put on the proof of claim seriously? Yes, and I made a mistake. In addition to the work you did on the Tomb of Dracula series, you were assigned to a number of other series during the 1970s for Marvel. Is that correct? Assigned? Sometimes I asked for the series. Sometimes they asked me if I wanted to be on it. Assigned gives the impression that I had, to, that I had no say in the matter. They asked me if I would like to work on a series. I would say yes or no, as I did on several occasions. And sometimes I would go in and ask them if I want to. 
And on the occasions that you went in and asked them and they said yes, did you understand that you were then assigned to be the writer on that series? I understood I was the writer on the series, yes. And was Spider-Woman one of those series that you were assigned to write? Spider-Woman was indeed a book that they asked me if I would be interested in writing. Now this is starting to feel like a crossover with uh, with previous... <laughs> that Harlan Ellison shit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, 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 man. That uh, Michael Michael uh, Fleischer. Fleischer. Yes. Not to be confused with Mr. Fleischer, the lawyer, who's... who's of course dr- not. Dr- of course not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to, back to Fleischer, the, the attorney here. Was Daredevil a series that you were assigned while you were at Marvel? I don't know if Daredevil was. Uh, that may be... That may have been a book that I asked for. Well, could you have written the series if Marvel had not agreed to let you be the writer for it? No. Could you have written The Man Called Nova if Marvel had not assigned you to write the series? Absolutely. And why is that? I owned it. I owned the character. I did it in 1968. I could have done Nova in 68. Could you have published a book if Marvel had not assigned you was the question. When I went and sold them the concept? Yes, whether you sold the concept or whether Joe Blow did the concept. I think that the question you are asking me, uh, could I have written a comic called a man called nova at marvel unless they approve the concept yes no but i could have written a man called nova could you have written skull the slayer if marvel had not approved the concept sure i tried to sell it and i wrote the material before i was ever at marvel could you have written skull the slayer at marvel as a marvel publication if marvel had not approved it mr wolfman no of course not were there any other series other than skull nova daredevil and spider woman series and tomb of dracula that you worked on yes And what were those? You can look at your proof of claim to help you. I am Powerhouse, Doctor Strange, Power Man, Submariner, Machine Man, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Marvel 2, Marvel 2 and 1, (laughs) spelled (laughs) spelled with Roman numerals. (laughs) That's so far off. Yeah. And from time to time, you did an occasional issue or fill-in issue for Marvel. Is that correct? Yes. Was all of the writing you did at Marvel Comics either on a freelance basis or under the writer-editor agreement that you signed in 1977? Yes. Now, when you did those occasional or fill-in issues, how did you come to write those? As I mentioned yesterday, Marvel was very late. Previously to my coming in as editor-in-chief, Marvel was constantly doing reprint books because writers would not make their deadlines. I instituted a policy of doing fill-in books on all those different titles, and I wrote some of them. All right, you wrote fill-in books at times, other than at times you were it, The Vampires of Hungary. Is that correct? I think under the writer-editor program, I don't recall writing any fill-in stories prior. Am I correct that Marvel paid you for all the material that they published and for which you had made creative contribution? They did not pay me for everything as a writer uh, that I did a creative contribution, but they paid me for all the stories I wrote. And while you were writing those stories for Marvel, would you agree that you had a duty to provide Marvel with the kind of writing it wanted as opposed to the kind of writing that you would do on your own? You are always doing, uh, wherever you work, you have to meet a certain criteria, otherwise they can't publish it. When I do television work, when I do animation work, yes, of course, the thing has to meet a certain acceptability. And would you agree that during the course of your writing at Marvel, You had to make compromises by making changes that the publisher or someone else at Marvel wanted, even when you disagreed with those changes. I can't recall any changes uh, I was ever asked to make except by the comics code, but that's really nothing to do with owning the characters or not owning a character. When I was doing a man called Axe, uh, which is a character I owned, da-da-da. 
Mr. Wolfman, the question is very simple. It doesn't call for a speech. It asks very simply, did you make compromises in order to satisfy the request or demands of the publisher that you felt were things that you would not have done in the absence of their requests or demands? That's a very strange sentence. I'll, I'll answer what I think you are asking me. And if I'm wrong, please ask me again. I wrote my stories. I think you are wrong because it calls for a yes or no answer. And I'll rephrase it to make it simple. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Did you make compromises in your storylines with your character or characterizations at any point during your tenure at Marvel? Because of Marvel? Maybe when I was writer-editor, but I don't recall of any beforehand. But I don't even recall that. Uh, there may have been an instance where I was asked to make a change. It's possible. Do you recall how you came to write Giant Size Chillers number 1? No. It was published in February 1974. I know the book. I have no idea how I got to write the book. That wasn't on your own authority, was it? I have no memory of anything outside of what the story was. Well, in 1974, you didn't have the authority to assign yourself to a book, did you? The authority? No. Do you recall how you came to write Submariner number 71, which was published in March of 74? Can I go back to the Chillers thing? Because I'm remembering something there. Go right ahead. It was a giant-sized Dracula book, and I was the writer under Tomb of Dracula, if I recall Chillers correctly, it was just a large Dracula book. I may be wrong there. You didn't have the authority to make a large format Dracula book just because you were the Tomb of Dracula writer, did you? No, they were doing lots of large versions of the regular comics, and they picked Tomb of Dracula to do a large version. If I'm correct, that's Giant Size Chillers uh, was the large Tomb of Dracula book. But in any event, you had to be assigned or approved as the writer of that book before it could be published. Is that correct? Wolfman concurs. Do you recall that Roy Thomas was the person who assigned to you a story for Giant Size Chillers number one? No, I don't recall that. I don't recall how I got that outside of the fact that it existed and therefore as a writer I just did it. It was just natural. Do you recall how you came to write Submariner 71? It's possible I was asked, asked to. In fact, uh, it's most likely that I was asked to. Do you recall how you came to write Dracula Lives number two? That one, I'm pretty sure I was asked to. Do you recall how you came to write Giant Size Fantastic Four, which was published in July of 74? I was asked to. Would you agree that in connection with your writing on Tomb of Dracula, you gave Marvel what it wanted rather than what you would have done on your own? I tried to make the book the type of book that Marvel would be happy to publish. On my own, I probably would have done a little bit more dialogue. You couldn't fit in all the dialogue. Uh, I would write, I would like to write, and I fit a lot of it in there. Uh, when we're working at another publisher where you don't own it, uh, the title of Tomb of Dracula, remember, it did exist prior to me. You tried to give them the type of material that they would want to publish, of course. On my own, by the way, I, I did that as well with a book called A Man Called Axe. Like, like see, he's getting it in there. He's getting his shit in, Jimmy. I'll be honest, I like A Man Called Axe, sure. especially issue number one. <laughs> future future uh, kayfabe fodder. Can't wait, man. <laughs> and, and which I did at Malibu Comics, and then I took it to DC Comics, and I had the rights to alter the material to fit their standards. So I take it, Mr. Wolfman, that you agree you gave Marvel what it wanted on Tomb of Dracula rather than what you might have done on your own. Is that correct or is that incorrect? I gave Marvel a book that Marvel would publish, yes. And would you agree that if you had not given Marvel what it wanted in connection with Tomb of Dracula, it would have had a shorter run than it ultimately had? If I didn't give Marvel, I mean, there is the possibility, certainly, that if I had been writing this in, uh, I wrote awful stories, yes. 
but I tried to write good stories for Marvel, and if I did a bad job, if I did a brilliant job, it could have continued longer. If I did a bad job, it would have died. Well, did you ever make the statement if you had not basically followed Marvel's direction on Tomb of Dracula, it would have had a shorter run than it actually did have? I remember saying at one point that I was writing the book to make sure that Marvel would do it where it would be a good Marvel book because the Marvel excitement factor that I was trying to do, and in that respect, that it would survive longer than if I had done probably more of a different type of Dracula story. That's what I thought at the time. Mr. Wolfman, am I correct? If you or if any writer at Marvel during the 1970s who is writing a series wanted to make a major change in the storyline, it would be necessary to obtain an approval for that from an editor or the publisher. What is a major change in the storyline? Well, let's use your terms because you are the comic book writer. If I wanted to kill a character like Spider-Man, I would have to. Otherwise, they never bothered us. If you wanted to change a hero to a villain or vice versa. No, no, I wouldn't even ask. If you wanted to change Spider-Man to a villain, you could have done that? For the storyline, without a doubt. You could have taken one character in a particular time period and put them in another time period? Yeah, yeah. Do you recall ever asking for permission in connection with your Dracula stories to move Dracula into the present? Dracula was in the present from day one. And by the way, I moved him from London to Boston and I didn't even ask anybody. <laughs> Court then recesses until 1.50 p.m. Should that, be, should that be it for now, man? Yeah, it's probably. I, I like their recesses. I feel like those are usually natural breaks. Yes, yes, yes. So, man, still a little spicy. Guy's getting into things. Uh, man, I started getting real scared when Mr. Fleischer was like, do you remember who told you to write this issue of Submariner and that issue of Fantastic Four? I thought we were going down a bibliography there. <laughs> but he seemed to have some kind of point. Uh, it speaks to the stuff that you were talking about, about these like civilian outsiders trying to figure out, like, how, it, how does it, this It's very work? strange. And even if uh, Fleischer knows more than your average civilian, if he's explaining it to a judge or a jury, I don't know if this was a jury trial, but you got to make clear whatever it is you're trying to do here. Although it does feel like pages go by and it's like, I think you could have just asked him the question that you're now circling back to. Right. That yeah, said, up. there were a couple of exchanges where... I might have been on Fleischer's side. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I mean, <laughs> well, when, it seems a little, a little not answering these questions. Totally. Like, especially when, like, it's breaking down. Marvel has worldwide exclusive rights to blah, blah, blah. What do you think that means? Yeah, man. It's, uh, I don't blame Wolfman either. I would suck under these conditions. Yeah. I'd be scared to say, to say anything wrong. And then, like, when they're pulling out letters that your lawyer crafted, uh, years ago maybe um it makes you nervous to say anything right right i mean like they're pulling out a word in the sentence from from some time past and having you interpret that it's 1999 when this uh, testimony is going on we're talking about stuff in 1977 was it 22 years something like that yeah uh come on now it's a damn near a lifetime it really is i mean i think you know at this point i've been published almost 20 years I don't remember the fine print of contracts, you know, and, and I mean, I have those, but I would have to really look them up. And, you know, it's it's not something I'm pulling out of the off the top of my head is like, oh, yeah, of course, I remember that detail. Yeah. Yeah. Or an interview or any of that. It's um, that's a tough spot. Still lots of testimony to go. Uh, I see that we have some redirects in the future. Mark Avanier's name is coming up here. Uh, we also have further 
testimony that extends into issue 239 of Comics Journal. Uh, somebody sent us a PDF of that. So there's a lot to this. And a lot of people were telling us that this is the one that we need to cover. Um, so just seeing how this stuff is, is laying out when Marv Wolfen was being directly examined. I was fully on, on his side. Now he's being cross-examined and these guys are pulling out these points with very clear black and white language from these contracts and things. Um, it does feel sketchy. Like once again, back, back, to, back to the Eisner-Miller book that, we, that we've been unpacking. And, and Miller, a, a contemporary of Wolfman's to, 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 to some extent, he comes in a little bit later and says like, you know, we, we had our eyes open to how we were being screwed. Uh, growing up, we knew that if you create Venom, they get to keep Venom, you know? It does seem like willful ignorance or blissful ignorance or something like that, but who knows? We'll see, we'll see how this uh, shakes out over time. I maintain that these are some of the better interviews. You know, like think about the the uh, real detail that's going into 70s Marvel, you know, when he's before Marv takes over as editor-in-chief and how many late books there are. Yeah. That's interesting stuff because um, it costs the company money. Yes. And uh, it, I think it speaks to either Marvel growing without maybe having the infrastructure keep up or a lack of professional, you know, adjusting from the 60s into the 80s. And it feels like the 70s were a lot of growing pains, maybe for creators and company. Yeah. I like that Wolfman takes the credit for it. And so does Jim Shooter. It takes the credit for getting the uh, trains to run back on time. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, super engaging, super insightful. And I can't wait to get to uh, the next round. I, I, I'm enjoying this interview. This testimony? This, yeah, testimony, not, not interview. It's fantastic, man. Check back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Okay, favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jimmy? Hulk Grand Design Monster number one is in comics shops now, uh, provided they ordered enough. Pick that up if you haven't already. Let them know that you want Hulk Grand Design Madness number one. It'll be out at the end of April, a retelling of the 60-year history of the Incredible Hulk uh, through my cartooning. And uh, join me on patreon.com slash jimrug. Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue number one and two are on the stands as we speak. Banned in 26 countries, banned in seven comic shops. Murder on the dark web for fun and profit, too spicy to handle. For lots of uh, readers out there, man, read it at your own risk. You can read the comics at my Patreon today. Uh, all the pages uh, that I have uh, serialized right now, more than 200 pages worth. Available at the Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor for the price of $3. And you can get to links to pre-order, order, or hit the Patreon at my link tree in the description below this video. What else, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. That's another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Shouts to everybody who's been grabbing these uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe shirts and things. Give them those marching orders, Jimmy, so we can be on our way. Read more comics.